Hey Central, my name is Zach and I'm part of the staff team and it's good to be with you even if it is on a screen. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I can't believe we're back to watching a sermon on a screen after the last little while. And that is, isn't ideal, it's not what we'd want to be doing. I'd much prefer to be in the room with you right now. But let's choose to still lean in. God is still here. He's present with us. He's been working and speaking as we've been worshipping together and praying and gathered as church family. And I think it's good for us to come with that same expectation as we read scripture together. We're going to be reading from Luke's Gospel in chapter 9. So you might want to get it up in front of you just now before we read. But we're in this new series looking at the journey to the cross. Andy kicked us off last week. And we're also in a season of Lent. And I'm sure many of you are probably engaging with Lent in different ways. Some of you might be laying some things down or starting some new habits. You might be giving up chocolate or caffeine, or you might be engaging with IGM's Slave Free Lent. Or maybe you're picking up a new rhythm or habit or reading a book which encourages you to spend more time with Jesus. But that ultimately is the reason why we engage with Lent. It's not just to start something fun and different or novel, you know. It's because we want to find different ways of directing our lives towards Jesus and to recognise our dependence on him, our need for him. Because often when we give something up that we're used to having, it's quite a vulnerable thing and it reminds us of our need for Jesus. And our hope is that as we journey this, this, these passages in the, these next few weeks in the sermon series, that it does some of that same work. We're going to begin on a mountaintop with Jesus and his disciples. And then from that point, we see him journey down the hill and towards Jerusalem and eventually towards the cross, his death and resurrection. And I think what we see in, in the passages we're going to be reading over the next few weeks is both an invitation to us and also a challenge. The invitation is to follow Jesus and to find everything we need in him. But the challenge is also to be willing to lay down stuff that is precious to us, is important to us in our pursuit of Jesus. The kind of things that might get in the way of knowing him and following him deeply. Maybe it's our own pursuit of success or happiness and laying that down, trusting that joy in God will be more fulfilling and relationship with God, with God far more lasting than any of those things. So let's read together. We're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, from verse 28. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. It says this, about eight days later, and this is eight days after Jesus has just announced to the disciples that he is going to die. Eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice was finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So it's helpful to know at what point this passage comes in Jesus' life and ministry. 
Mark's Gospel sets this out really clearly. In the first half of Mark's Gospels, chapters 1 through 8, we have this kind of huge impact ministry, public ministry of Jesus. He is healing people, he is casting out demons, he is challenging authority, and he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. He's fulfilling what Isaiah 61 says, when it says that, that he has come, that we might find life, the oppressed might be set free, the blind might see, those who are most vulnerable and isolated might come to know fullness in him. So Jesus is doing all of this, this great stuff. And yet in the midst of that, he is aware that people haven't quite got why he's there, why he's come. In fact, they have a completely different understanding of what the Messiah should look like. For Jews at that time, they were fully anticipating the Messiah to come. But when the Messiah did come, they expected that he would come with a sword, that he would come with an army, that he would raise up a revolution that would overthrow and challenge Roman authority. That's what they were looking for. But that was not the kind of kingdom that Jesus was bringing. And we reach this point in his ministry. It's about two and a half years in. And at this stage, he feels he's able to now share some of why he has come with the disciples. In fact, they've just declared that he is the Messiah. They've come to realise that for themselves. And then he brings up his three closest disciples up a mountain and reveals himself to them in his fullness. And as part of that, even Moses and Elijah appear. And it's, there's such mystery to this passage, I'd love to unpack at some stage. I think there's like a PhD in there. I'd love to do something like that at some stage. But I'm not going to even attempt to do some of that kind of unpacking right now. But what we see represented through Moses and Elijah is the law and the prophets. And as Jesus speaks with them, it's proclaiming that he is fulfillment of all of what the Old Testament talked about, all it was looking forward towards. Jesus is at the centre of everything. The verse I'd love for us to just reflect on from this passage is verse 32. So all of this is going on. They climb this mountain. Moses and Elijah have appeared. Jesus' face is brilliant white. And what do we see in verse 32? Peter and the others have fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about it? All of this is going on, this hugely dramatic thing. And the disciples are sleeping. And then eventually, it says later in the same verse, they wake up and they see what's going on and they see Jesus' glory. And they start to panic and figure out what to do. And Peter, as usual, kind of blurts out some options of what you could do to try and rectify the fact that they weren't aware before. <laughs> but they were asleep. And I wonder for us whether there's some resonance for that. I know, I know in my own life in the last little while that I am aware of what it feels like to feel tired all the time. Uh, having a 20-month-old who sleeps quite sporadically means that I feel often half asleep all the way through the day and half asleep all the way through the night. And maybe some of you have some of the same experience as well for different reasons. But I wonder if spiritually there's a sense in which we've become less awake to the work that God is doing around us, particularly at the last, after the last few years. With COVID restrictions changing, with the constant, constant change in the news, even now with a new, feels like international emergency on our hands, there's a sense into which all of our energy can be poured into that and we can lose sight of the work that God is doing or even just not have the energy to see it around us. 
In fact, maybe you can relate to how the disciples were in that moment, feeling half asleep and then suddenly at times waking up and saying, oh no, God's here, God's working. Maybe even you felt that today as we've been worshipping. But it strikes me that in the Gospels, this isn't a unique case. In fact, often Jesus is awake at points where the disciples sleep. And Jesus is asleep at the points where the disciples are awake. I don't think that's just a sleeping rhythm difference. I think that's a priority thing. I think it's a spiritual thing. In fact, there are three places we see it explicitly. There is in chapter four of Mark, where Jesus calms the storm, storm, and the disciples are very awake to the violent storm that threatens to drown them. And Jesus sleeps. In fact, when he wakes up, he just says one word and the storm is calmed. We have this point here in the middle of the gospel where the transfiguration happens and Jesus' full glory is on display, something that really we should be awake to. And the disciples are asleep, too tired after the day's activities. And then a third really key example is actually at the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus' crucifixion. Again, at this point, we have this intimate and really vulnerable moment of Jesus with the Father wrestling over the, his, his call to go to the cross for us, to die for our sin. And again, while Jesus is awake, pouring over the reality of this, the disciples are asleep, tired from the activities of the day. After these last few years, we might feel a bit sluggish, a bit slow to wake up. But I would want to challenge us and encourage us that even though that is okay in some senses, that it's natural after the last few years, that it's natural that we might have reduced our expectations and maybe kind of looked a little bit more internally um, as we've been carried through this. Now, as we look forward, as we move forward, I don't want that to be my expectation going forward. I don't want to have a reduced perspective on what God's doing. I don't want to be half awake to where he's at work. I want to be awake to the things that Jesus is awake to and asleep to the things that Jesus can sleep to. I want to be awake to where he's at work and sleep trusting that, that God has got the stuff that feels beyond my control, that feels violent like a massive storm. And I hope that you do too. I wonder that one of the ways that we can cultivate that experience, that awakeness to God's presence, is in worship. In fact, I think it's not unrelated that worship, gathered corporate worship, is one of the things that's been contested in the last few years, hasn't it? Starting off with us not being able to sing while we gathered, and now even as we sing with masks on, and there's a sense of us being muted a little, some of our worship could easily feel like it's, it's lost some of its joy. And I really believe in this season, and we've been seeing this in some of our Sundays, that God is bringing a new song to us, a newness to our worship, restoring the joy of us gathering together to praise his name. And I really believe if we come to that place of worship with expectation, that God wants to reveal himself in all of his glory, that we might see that more and more as we gather and as we meet in communities throughout the week. There's this incredible passage in 2 Corinthians 3, which talks about the work that happens as we come before God. And I just want to read it out. It says this, All of us 
who have had our veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And what that means is there's no longer any separation between us and God. We can see God's glory fully in display as we gather together. And as we see that, it also does something to us. We reflect that outwards to others. And it shapes us and changes us. It helps us to lay down the things that get in the way of God, of us seeing God. It helps us to prioritise. It helps us to live more and more like Jesus as we see him fully on display before us. And so as we return to a space of worship, as we share in communion, as we invite Jesus to be present to us, and as we sing together as church, let's be expectant that God wants to meet with us, that there's always more of him, that we could never tap and reach the bottom of the well of God's glory, of God's majesty, of God's greatness. There's always more that he wants to share with us. And there's more that he wants to share with us today. Let me pray for us as we return to space of worship. Father God, we thank you for this incredible passage and the reminder that you are an incredible, glorious God and in you all things hold together. And I pray that where we might have become sluggish or half asleep in these last few years, we might even be aware of it this morning that, or this evening, that we are tired, that we have, um, we're slow to come, become aware of where you're at work. Father God, would you do a work in us? Would you wake us up to places where you are at work? And would you give us the strength to lay down the things that get in the way, the distractions, the stuff that removes that need for you? I say this in Jesus' name. Amen.